airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh oh. Uh oh. Good afternoon. This is airing the Addisons here on American Family Radio. I'm Will Addison, once again holding it down for the family, sending you greetings from the Addison tribe. Man, so happy to be with you today. Thank you so much for for listening. I thank you for your support, uh, the emails um, that I've gotten. You know, just about some of the topics that I've covered. Uh, just appreciate the encouragement. Uh, and look, Miki's time is drawing near, so she should be back real soon. So I'm going to be able to tell her, let's go to work. <laughs> let's get it done. I know y'all are missing her as well, but they all doing fine. The baby is doing well. And so uh, praise God for that. So I want to start off with some housekeeping things. Um, you can download our podcast at afr.net slash podcast make sure you download our podcast if you miss any of the shows you can go back and listen afr.net slash podcast or you can go to the afr.net homepage click the podcast tab and we have the shows archived there and so um man want to check those out also if you want to email us you can email us at addisons at afr.net that's a-d-d-i-s-o-n-s at afr.net also, uh, if you want to check out the events that are taking place with AFA, uh, make sure you go to afa.net slash events. You can find out about town hall meetings and different things that, that's going on with the ministry here. Make sure also that you are have signed up for the daily brief from onenewsnow.com. If you're looking for news from a Christian perspective, because you know there are a lot of people out there, a lot of outlets that are not reporting the news. They're not um they have basically become opinion, you know, outlets. And it's sometimes it's rare to find those outlets that are willing to report uh, the news. You know, they're trying to suppress things and hide things, but not at uh, onenewsnow.com. So make sure you, you sign up for the daily brief uh, for onenewsnow.com. Also, In His Image, make sure you watch the documentary. You can go to inhisimage.movie to check out the documentary. Uh, it's a great resource for churches, for individuals, for Bible studies, um, man, powerful testimonies, you know, answers to questions. So go to in his image dot movie. Make sure you view it, view it and also share it with a friend so that they can uh, sign up, give their email address and also watch it. We are still uh, doing Operation Christmas Child. Again, you can pack shoeboxes and help us send great joy and the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Uh, be a part of evangelism and discipleship when you pack an Operation Christmas Child shoebox. American Family Radio is joining Operation Christmas Child to share the hope and love found in Jesus Christ through a simple shoebox gift. Uh, for more information on that, you can go to SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC. And like I said before many times, it's a great opportunity for you to get your, your family, your kids together, go out shopping for someone else. Uh, it's a great lesson lesson in, um, in, in giving. 
a great lesson in giving. You know, a lot of times, <laughs> you know, our kids can be so self-absorbed, you know, if we're not careful, the things that they get, that we have to, like, teach them how to give. You know, another way to teach them how to give is to for them to give in church, you know, give to the Lord. And so, but this is a way that we can do that. So make sure make sure you go to SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC. And also, let me get my paper here. We have, a, this week is a special week, uh, Prodigal Prayer Emphasis Week. Uh, this is a Prodigal Prayer Emphasis Week. Uh, we, we all have prodigals in our families. It is our fervent prayer that the Lord would bring healing and hope to all of those who are hurting and confused. If you or someone you know is wrestling with same-sex attraction, transgenderism, or other issues of sexual brokenness, or have just walked away from the faith, prayer is the first step. And I say amen to that. Our prayer team would be honored to pray over your request. It's simple to submit a prayer request. Visit inhisimage.movie slash or forward slash prayer to send your request. That's inhisimage.movie forward slash prayer. Uh, to send in your request, and we're believing for the restoration, transformation, and healing and repentance of thousands of prodigals during this special ministry week. And already a lot of people have signed up and sent those prayer requests, uh, and I have a couple of them on my desk that I was able to pray for myself. And so I know these issues that have been dealt with and in his image in that movie, in that documentary, have touched a lot of lives. And and so that, you know, we have the request coming in, um, man, stacks and stacks of, of just prayer requests. And we are praying as a ministry over those uh, prayer requests. So today. Um, that's something I just wanted to speak on, um, and I'm not sure how long it would take um, during the duration of this show. I don't know if it, if I would get it all in, but, you know, the Lord has really given me personally uh, a passion for the body of Christ. When I look at what, what is happening uh, in, in our culture and society, I always think about the body of Christ and how do we respond, you know, to the things that are, are taking place. And I think a lot of times we have not responded in the proper way. And because the church has not been the church in a lot of these instances, uh, we have given over, you know, some of our our voice, you know, the church, not being a church, it can cause us to not be respected even by the world. If we're doing the same things that the world is doing, if we're, you know, uh, responding in the same way that the world world would respond, you know, if we're taking things from the world and trying to integrate them into the church, man, what makes us different? But I believe that the that God has given the church, the body of believers, um, Throughout this world, and I want to specifically talk about here in America, you know, a prophetic voice, a voice to be able to speak into the culture and to say what thus says the Lord. And we know what the Lord has said from his word. But first, we have to live out his word. We have to stand on his word. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said uh, he said the church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state and never its tool. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. 
you know, I've read that quote over and over again. And I'm like, man, he's so right. He was so right in that in that particular quote. And as the, the people of God, God has given us a mandate to do what he says. And we know what the Bible says because we, we have it and we're able to read it and we're able to adhere to it. So the church must be in a position to speak truth to power. Uh, we as the body of Christ are truth bearers. We are the pillar and the ground of truth. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, 15, but in, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So we have the truth. We're the, we're the pillar and support of the truth. And so we can't hide this truth. We can't downplay this truth. This is something that is lived out in front of the world. The minute we are co-opted by a political party or any other entity, any other status group or ungodly agenda group, we cease to be an effective voice within our country. There's a lot that's happening, but I'm telling you that the church has to stand, not, not necessarily that we don't, that we're not informed about what happens in our culture, in politics and things like that. We have to know. We have to be engaged. We can't be ignorant. But we also have to maintain almost like a, a, you know, a line where we're able to speak even to political leaders, to leadership. You know, we have to not be co-opted, you know, by any political group or any other group, no matter if it's political or not. The church is the pillar and the ground of truth. And we should stand in a place where we're able to speak the truth no matter what comes, no matter who rise up, rises up and says this and that. If it's not the truth, we are able to speak to that uh, uh, to that entity because we're not beholden to them. You know, I remember growing up and there was a fear and a respect and a reverence for the church. Um, the people of God were respected. But, man, when I look around today, not so much, not so much. You know, there was a time when those who knew uh, they were heathens, and that's a that's an old word. You don't really hear that anymore. Heathens and apart from God did not dare to associate with the holy people of God. Today, you have you know Lady Gaga and, and people like that uh, um, saying she's a Christian woman while boldly doing things that abhor God. You have God being hit the word of God and God Himself being blasphemed. You know being blasphemed and a lot of times it's because of us because we're not upholding the holiness and the standard of God you know I'm not that old but I remember you know the feelings I had attending church uh, as a child you know I didn't understand everything but I but I thought that the house of God was a sacred place and the, the adults you know and the leadership man you had an understanding that this is not a playground this is not you know uh Anything else, this is the, the, the house of God. This is a church, you know, and it was sacred. The old saints loved God so much that they adjusted what, what they said, what they wore, <laughs> where they went, what they listened to. Yet some of it turned out to be legalism. Uh, and because of proper discipleship wasn't, uh, wasn't done right, you know, there was self-righteousness. Man, but I remember people that loved God. Like there was there was talk about holiness. There was talk about godly standard. I don't do this anymore. You know, I, I'm changed because of, you know, what God has really done for me. 
you know, I'm a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, all things are made new. There was sanctification. You know, we talked about these things. We talked about, you know, again, holiness in the presence of God. And, you know, as we live out our Christian life. You know, I remember my grandmother. My grandmother was a, a praying woman. And I remember uh, my grandfather was the one that used to take me to elementary school. And every morning when I would go to their, their house, they lived in a project uh, in New Orleans, the Magnolia. I remember when I, go to, when I would go to their house, it would be like, like five in the morning. And my grandmother would be in this chair, this like lazy boy chair, and she would be praying every morning. I don't remember a morning where she was not in that chair praying. It was serious. It was real. You know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't just I'm a Christian. You know, a lot of people say that they're Christians today. Man, it's so much so that you're like, man, does it even mean anything anymore? But it does. It does. You know, there was a time when churches uh, was 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 respected in the community. And for example, the black community, the church was central command post. You know, there was uh, there, there was less emphasis on the pastor being rich and more of the of the pastor being holy. And I'm not saying that everything that happened was right. I'm not saying that uh, sinful behavior was not found, but I'm saying that there was a difference in reverence back then. I just don't see today. You know, the church has largely given up its prophetic voice today for so many reasons. Love of the world disobedience to the word of God, lack of church discipline. In a lot of ways, we have become impotent, spineless, cowardly, and selfish. Man, and it's an indictment on the church. And we can't expect the world around us, even the communities that our churches that you know reside in, to be any different from how the church is in that area. Like, and I know the church is a building, but I'm speaking of the body of believers that would gather together, you know, and, and that change would take place when you had people uh, who knew God. And when they went to the area, the area changed. That, that's how it should be in the body of Christ. But we have given over our prophetic voice because we love and desire the things of the world. I'm going to talk more about this. I'm talking about regaining a prophetic voice that God has given to the, his people. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. I'll be back right after this. This is Ernie Addison's here on American Family Radio. I'm Will Addison. Again, happy to be with you today talking about the church and its prophetic voice. I um, have been looking through a, a book by Erwin Lutzer. Uh, the, bir- the book is called The Church in Babylon. And something that uh, I came across in this book, uh, he said, The church has always been tempted to dull the sharp edges of the Christian faith, to abandon hard truths 
in the face of cultural and religious pressure. Passing a vibrant fate to the next generation is always a challenge, especially without the support of the government, the courts, the media, public schools, and the national zeitgeist um, that in insist that we simply flow with the raging river of cultural opinion. The empty churches of Europe testify to what happens when the clear gospel witness becomes beholden to political correctness, submission to culture, and a willingness to unite with other religions under the banner of tolerance and love. Look, that's a surefire way for the church to lose its prophetic voice is to stop preaching the true gospel, to be beholden to all types of uh, political systems, to water down things, to not call sin, sin. And we see that happening so much uh, even in our country. And the example he said, he said, look at Europe and the churches that have closed down. Well, that's the that's the blueprint. That's what happened. You know, the, the word of God not being proclaimed like it should in all of its truth. And so we were talking about just the prophetic voice that the church has, that God has given uh, the church to speak, um, you know, to the places where they live and to say, this is what the Lord has said. You know, this is what God calls for. You know, you would see it all the times in the Bible, the prophets, they, were, they would arise and they would speak to kings and they would speak to leaders and they would speak to the people. They would speak to priests, you know, um, man, God still desires to use his church in that way. So when we look at scripture and survey the prophets, uh, there's a few things that stick out. Number one, prophets were revered. They were feared. And they were outcast. <laughs> they were revered, feared, but they were outcast. Uh, they usually didn't keep many friends. They were called to do strange things. They spoke what God told them to speak, no matter the outcome. And we're talking about the true prophets. Uh, they were sought after by leaders and kings. They had fears. They were uh, men like us. And they were on assignment. And there's one particular prophet that I want to look at real quick, uh, and that's Samuel. And account of uh, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, when God has called Samuel to go and to select the king that he would show them. And, um, and so now I'm going to read that. It said, now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn uh, with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate uh, to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? And he said, in peace, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. 
He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for, he, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So there's some things we can observe about the prophet here. If we, as we look at Samuel and the assignment that God uh, sent him on and, and what happened. First, we can see that Samuel had human fears, just like us. We all have, you know, fears, but he had a greater fear of God. Let's remember, Samuel said, how can I go? When, Saul's, when Saul hears of it, he will kill me. You know, God will call us to do things that will not put us in a popular light. That's part of being a prophetic voice. I'm not saying that, you know, everybody, every Christian is called to be a prophet. But, I'm, but we do have a prophetic voice. We have the, the word of the Lord that we hold. So God will call upon us to do things that won't put us into a popular light. Things that will be uh, popularity killers for us, comfort killers for us, advancement killers for us in this life. But we must do as Samuel did in the very real, at the very real chance of death, he obeyed God. He obeyed God with the very real chance of death. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. He did it. He obeyed. It has to be about fidelity and obedience to God rather than a desire to save ourselves. This is a key to maintaining a prophetic voice. Obedience. When God calls us to do something, we obey. We listen. We hear what he says, even in the face of, of fear. Man, they're going to they're going to ridicule me. They're going to shun me. They may even try to hurt me. But God has said to say it and to do it. I'm going to obey God. Fidelity to God. The second thing we can see. That there was a reverence at the coming of Samuel. There was a reverence. It says, and the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? He said, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. I have a question. What are the leaders of our day, the powers that be, what are they saying at the coming of the church? 
to weigh in on issues of the day. What are they saying of the church when we come and say, hey, this is not what the Lord wants. Samuel had a a reputation of speaking what the Lord says, walking uprightly and holy. So at his appearance, these elders fully knew that this man represented God. There was a respect, a reverence, and I submit that this should be the position of the church in America today. Have we lost that at the coming of pastors and leaders, you know, to speak about things even uh, of a political bent or whatever it may be? Is there a reverence? Too often because of our own doing, we are seen as capitulating on issues. Wanting to be affirmed by the world, cowardly on controversial issues, willing to be paid off. At the appearance of the church, there's there's no trembling, no reverence, little respect. Hey, and that's a hard pill to swallow. But I'm here to be real. Like we have to ask ourselves those questions. We have given up our prophetic voices in exchange for political voices. In exchange for cultural voices. And other things. We would rather be popular you know, then be shunned by, by this culture. And I'm speaking about the church. The third thing, the prophet still had human inclinations, but his obedience to God was more important. The Bible says when they entered, he looked at, he looked at uh, Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him for God sees not as man sees for man looks at the outward. It was not left up to Samuel's choosing, but God's choice and an obedience to his word in order for the church to maintain its prophetic voice. It can't make decisions or be moved by what's logical or appealing to the senses. Not, not, not by that alone. We can't be persuaded by the attractiveness of the world if we want to remain a prophetic influence in America. We can't. Logic is not bad, but being moved by what we see at all times in our senses. Man, that can't be what controls us. The fourth thing. Overcoming these very human responses By adhering to God's word, Samuel was able to complete the job. The Bible says, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready and beautiful with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. We have to, in like manner, overcome the fears of being of not being accepted in culture, being ostracized or thought as strange. 
that the voice that God has given his people can continue to be effective for his glory. Operating with a prophetic voice means only speaking what God says about things. We see it all the time where Christians get on, get on popular platforms. They have these interviews on these different shows and are asked a simple question or simple questions and don't say what God says about the issue. You see this a lot when it comes to the question of, you know, is homosexuality a sin? Then they start fumbling over themselves. Oh, I can't, I don't, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, Man, we are called to say what God says about all the things that we're asked. We don't have to like make up stuff and fumble. We have the book. We have the word of God. And if we're going to maintain our prophetic voice, we have to say what he says. You know, in first Kings, it talks about uh, lying voices, lying prophetic voices. You know, there are lying prophetic voices, voices uh, that money will, will make everything better. Voices that uh, you can speak in, into existence what you want in life. Voices that say gain is godliness. Voices that, that say you can be homosexual and be a Christian. We are called to be like Micaiah in Kings and respond to this culture that needs answers from the church. In 1 Kings chapter 22, one of Micaiah's statement, because he, you know, the king did not want to hear from him because he only spoke what God said. He wanted to hear, you know, something that would be pleasing to him. Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I shall speak. That has to be the voice of the church today. As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I shall speak. You know, the prophets, they were not liked. Uh, they were not beholden to men. You know, Jesus once said, if you look in Mark chapter 6, verse 4, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and his, in his own household. <laughs> Jesus also, says, also said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those uh, are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not have it. Man, you know, prophets are ostracized. They're all they're more than likely they're outside. You know, they're not in the popular crowd. In a church, we have been called to be set apart. We might we are not going to be popular, you know. We have to get used to the fact that we're different, that we're peculiar. When we get back, I'm going to talk more about it. I'm going to finish this up because I want to say a little something about John the Baptist. And I'll go ahead and finish with that. But the Lord is calling for us as his people to say what he says about the issues of the day. We don't, we don't join in with the liars, with the deceivers, with the ones who, you know, want to just make it in this world but we say what god says concerning all the issues even though it's not popular this is erin addison's here on american family radio i'll be back right after this
This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. I'm Will Addison talking about the prophetic voice of the church. Has it been compromised uh, today? Um, I, I was just thinking during the break, you know, when we're beholden to anything beyond total allegiance to God, it paralyzes us. We can't speak, you know, rightly because we don't want to mess up or uh, disgruntle those who we are beholden to. We have to be very careful to be able to stand in a position where we're able to talk, you know, and speak to both sides when wrong is done, when right is done, you know, to encourage, you know, all because because we are part of the body of Christ. And before the break, I want to um, kind of highlight John the Baptist. We know that he was one who <laughs> was on the backside of, of the, the desert. You know, he God had him in a certain spot, you know, but he was a prophet. He was one that told uh, political leaders, <laughs> you know, what was the, what the truth was. And uh, he spoke what God put on his heart and what God told him to say. And he was killed. You know, prophets, they spoke the truth as we are to speak today. And they were killed for it. <laughs> they were killed for it. Their very lives was, were, was, was taken because they, they obeyed God. And said what was, you know, the truth of God, the truth of God. Before I go on, let me open up the phone lines if anyone want to call in. Uh, the number is 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. If you have a comment about anything that I'm talking about today as far as uh, the church and its prophetic voice, we'd love to hear from you. I'm going to continue on um, until we get any calls. If we get any calls, then I'll, I'll go to the calls. But John the Baptist was an example of one that was called by God. You know, he was on the, God had him on the backside of the, de- the desert. You know, he was in the wilderness. You know, he was strange to everyone. The things that he ate, the, things, the, the, the clothes that he wore, <laughs> you know, he was strange. Again, it gives me a picture of the church. We're going to look strange. The things that we do are going to seem strange. We are not here to be popular in the world. You know, we're not here to fit in and to, you know, look like everybody else and all of this. That's not who God called for us to, to be. Jesus described John the Baptist. He says, and these uh, men were going away. Jesus, as these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowd. Uh, this is Matthew chapter 11, verse uh, 7 uh, through 12. He began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you. Uh, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, uh, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent men take it by force. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah, who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
And so he was weird to the culture. John was weird to the culture. He was one that was seen as like, man, what is he out there doing in that wilderness? Why is he eating those locusts and honey? And, you know, why is he dressed like that? But God called him as his mouthpiece at that time and at that point. And I believe today that God has called the church of God, the church to be his mouthpiece in the midst of darkness, to look peculiar, to look different, that we are not beholden to any systems or anything that can uh, uh, taint our voice, but that we and our, that our total allegiance is to God. So today, we as a church of the living God, preparing the, the way for his return, uh, we have to have the same passion, integrity, obedience, the set apartness that we see in the prophets. None of us may operate in the office of a prophet, but we can speak with a prophetic voice to our land and by speaking and obeying the word of God. Again, we should be challenged by the words of uh, Dr. King, Martin Luther King, who said, and I read this in the beginning, the church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state and never its tool. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. That's the challenge. Where are we as the church? God is still the same, and he still desires for us to be his voice uh, within this land. All right. I want At this point, I want to go to the calls. Let's uh, go to Judith. I think Judith is, is Judith in Alabama. Hi, Judith. Hey, brother. How are you? Doing great. Great. Good to hear you. Listen, this is probably one of the best teachings I've heard from you. It is amazing. You're definitely under the apostolic anointing. Um, you know, I just want to agree with you. You know, the voice of the prophets. Mm. You know, the Bible says that um, we're built upon the foundation. Mm. And I know the chief cornerstones, Jesus Christ, but Amen. the foundation is the apostles and prophets. Mm -hmm. You know, so where is the apostles? Mm. Where are the prophets? You know, and we have the pastor, evangelists, and teachers, but that foundation, and God says that the foundation be destroyed. What can the righteous do? And so people are just barely holding on because they don't have that solid foundation, the teaching, what mm. you're teaching today. And, of course, you guys always do, but there's just a special anointing on you today to minister a foundation, mm. follow peace with all men and holiness. Amen. You know, you were emphasizing holiness, without which no man shall see God. We want to see God move. We want to see God do things. But what about the holiness? What about the very foundation? Mm. And, and so that kind of brings me to the question of, you know, uh, my observation, I've been born again since 1983. Mm -hmm. I've been around. Um, and I, I seem to notice that pastors reject those anointings. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. anointing of the apostle, the anointing of the prophet. Mm -hmm. It's almost like they feel they have to protect the sheep from those anointings. But mm -hmm. why would that be? How, yeah. how did we get to that place? 
where the apostle and prophet aren't coming into the churches and bypassing the brain and going into the spirit and laying a foundation that we can build on that when we walk out of those doors, the power of the word just carries us through the whole week, mm. you know? Yeah, Judith. So, it, yeah, thank thank you so ahead. much for that call. I, I appreciate that. And that's that's some of the same questions I've asked, you know, even looking at Ephesians chapter 4, you know, verse 11, and he gave some apostles, as apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some uh, pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And I always said, you know, now I know there's a distinction between apostles, you know, and I was, and I guess some would say capital A, like the ones, the the twelve, and the ones, you know, uh, uh, who walked with Christ. But I do believe that there still is an apostolic, you know, call upon different believers lives. I believe that, you know, now I'm not saying that they are apostles like the apostles in the Bible, but I do believe that there are some that are called to build up churches to, to, you know, to oversee congregations and things like that. I believe that the prophetic is still in existence. Some people don't believe that, you know, prophets still exist. I do. I don't see any, uh, anything in the Bible where they don't exist. And even in this scripture in Ephesians 4.11, it says, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs in the fullness of Christ. I I don't see that as as having happened already, that we have attained to the unity of the faith. So I believe that there are still necessary uh, um, uh, jobs for the apostle and the prophet. Also, I would say this, you know, and I know some people may disagree, you know, is uh, we have the, the fivefold ministry and it seemed like in totality, a lot of people generally, they accept maybe a couple of those fivefold, maybe pastors and teachers. But when it comes to, you know, apostles and prophets, uh, well, they, they accept three. They accept evangelists, teachers uh, and pastors. But when when it comes to apostles and prophets, it's like, ah, then I, I think that's because of the abuses. There are so many titles that are out there. So many people call themselves prophets that are not prophets. There are so many people who will say that I'm I'm super apostle this and that. I mean, it's there's a lot of abuses, but because there are abuses, I don't believe it nullifies, you know, what God has set out for the church. And again, I will say, I don't see where we, you know, where there would be apostles today, like the ones that walked, you know, with Jesus and like Paul, who, you know, had an encounter with Jesus where he saw Jesus you know, but I think the apostolic type, you know, of anointing and the apostolic type ministry is still in effect for the church. And I think we suffer when we say, oh, you know, no, not the apostles, not the prophet, not the prophetic. But yeah, yeah. Evangelists, pastors and teachers, because those are not weird. But those other two, ah, you know, I don't I don't really get with that. And that's that's how I feel about it. You know, um, I don't see where it has stopped, you know, and I know many would disagree, but. In the word of God, they all are in that list together. And and I think, you know, he still has a place for them. All right. Let's go to Sharon in Alabama. Hi, Sharon. Hey. Hi. At first, I thought you were just talking about pastors teaching the people. Um, but you're talking about um, what are you talking about when you say prophecy? 
Well, I mean, I mean, people, who, the people of God, when my whole, the whole thing I was talking about today was that the church should have a prophetic voice, meaning we say what God say about every issue. We don't water down anything. I'm not talking about okay. ev- everyone having a, being in the office of a prophet or anything like that. What I'm saying is, you know, we have submitted our voice, you know, to the culture and have dulled down the power behind it because we have watered down what should be preached. Okay, that's what I thought you were talking about. And I wanted to tell you that in my observation, a lot of pastors do not want to do that. They don't want to raise any of the critical issues that might bring them criticism from the culture. Right. Um, They don't inform the people. Mm -hmm. All the people know is the side they hear from the liberal media. Mm. They don't hear what God says about homosexuality. Mm -hmm. You never hear a sermon on that. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't touch that. You don't hear a sermon on transgenderism. They'd never touch that. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't even mention it from the pulpit. But they talk about um, winning the lost and Mm -hmm. loving Mm -hmm. the lost. And I'm thinking, what what are they going to do with these people when they do get saved because in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul had to deal with all those sins. Yeah. But yeah. He didn't let them just bring all that into the church. Exactly. And all that. Um, yeah. And the things that they don't want to talk about and don't want to teach the people about. And I just want to mention two mm-hmm. books that would help these pastors. Dark Agenda, The War to Destroy Christian America by David Horowitz. And Erwin Lutzer's book, When a Nation Forgets God, Mm. Seven Lessons We Must Learn from Nazi Germany, and we haven't Mm. learned them. Mm. No, that's good. Thank you so much, Sharon. I agree with you. We can't, we got to say what God says about all the issues. The the full counsel of God should be preached in our uh, churches. You know, the full counsel. Let me go to Tony in South Dakota. Hi, Tony. Hey, Will. Hello. uh, Good to be on with you. Can you hear me okay? Yes. All right, awesome. Um, well, you and I um, had conversation a couple weeks ago, and I don't know if you remember me or not, but uh, um, I tell you, you are just, you're knocking it out of the park these days with uh, your subjects. And a um, couple things. One, um, I apologize, I'm working, so I'm out of breath a little bit. But, now, you got 30 seconds. Um, I'm sorry, you got 30 seconds. Okay, all right, I'll be quick. All right, so... Um, to the point of, of Elijah and and looking to basically do that which is right, um, you know, one of the things that we aren't to be afraid of is doing that which is right. And if if we as the people of God would be willing to, then this would be different. Tony, I'm sorry I have to stop you there. You can call back tomorrow if you if you like. This is Aaron Addison's. We'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless. <laughs>